<laughs> I like your vest. Thanks. And the and your shirt, man. And your background. We got a lot of good things going on here. Yeah, well, it's kind of like modern versus sixties or mid sixties, I guess. So, you know, might as well. Yeah. Well, how you been doing, man? It is uh it's super good to see you. We've uh not been able to really do a podcast because of the uh lockdown and yeah, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah crazy times but uh we we are doing one now so like uh this has been like if we were talking silver linings uh i've done a lot of podcasts like this um right maybe more than i i like mitch lerner the guy that who uh we've talked about um who's the expert on the pueblo incident he ca- mm-hmm. i got the podcast with him just like we're doing now it was awesome Right. I, I haven't watched that yet. I know you sent me the link to it, but I, I haven't got around to seeing it. It's like an hour, right? It's not, it's not very long. Yeah. It's about an yeah. hour. Yeah. Yeah. I want to have him on again. Cause, um, his, his daughter works for CNN. Right. And she got pepper sprayed, uh, like three times, uh, during covering, uh, the protest in Columbus. Right. Wow. So yeah. That's pretty intense. <laughs> well, and then and then a separate time got her car towed off um, when she was down there covering it, and just uh, just real intense situations out there, you know. Uh, which right. uh, we can uh, maybe provide some commentary for the audience through our uh, just a little bit of back and forth, because uh, we're picking up where we left off on the 1968 stuff. We plan to do this casualties episode. Right. Which, which has now been, that was like two, two months ago, something? Oh, at least, like we're talking about it early March, I believe. Yeah, we, we were going to try to fit it in sort of before the um, Martin Luther King Jr. assassination anniversary thing in order to kind of tie into this, because that's one of the things we're going to talk about, of course, because that is a significant casualty of 1968, so... Well, and, and you, you know, you pointed out we're just a couple of days on the other side of the assassination of RFK. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's correct. Which would, you know, which be another high profile casualty, but um, that's going to be kind of our theme. And, you know, one thing to, that I think really parallels uh, would be the protests, right? right. Like uh, the response to um and how some of the issues are are the same, right? With the police violence, with uh, right. against peaceful protesters, uh, also against um, you know I, I I need to research this more, but about what groups had infiltrated the protests in '68. That's what I was kind of uh, reading into earlier, and just mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't find anything super uh, valid to kind of riff on, but. It you know it's just like anything with researching this and talking about it, it's going to send us down some rabbit holes, so. Right. Yeah. That's. Th- thanks for the internet for that. That's. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, so kind of starting off, like uh, we'll just kind of kick off. I know we've talked about Tet, we've talked about Pueblo, right. but uh, you know. One thing that um, I think really dissuaded uh, 
you know, a lot of hearts and minds uh, on the Tet Offensive was the amount, uh, was, even though uh, you could say it was uh, low in comparison to the number of uh, North Vietnamese that were killed, Americans had 543 killed, which was a high number. Right. Uh, so that was uh, something that I, I, I read read into is very negatively received by the American Republic, right. uh, American public. And then you had 2,547 uh, wounded and these stats came out in February. Right? Yeah. Right. Relatively early in the year. So right, mm-hmm. that's gonna have, have some great effect. Well, 1968 uh, overall in Vietnam is uh, a very terrible year for casualties, right? You almost have, well, at this point, you have nearly half a million, actually over half a million troops that are in Vietnam fighting at that time. It's, I think the number is close to like maybe uh, five, 550,000, something along those lines at that point. And this is even when, uh, 68, 69, when, uh, the military starts to cut back on the amount of people that they're sending out there too. But regardless of that, by the end of 68, you have almost roughly about 80,000 casualties at this point. You have uh, 16 to 17,000 killed, and then you have 70,000 who are wounded. And that's not even adding in all of the, uh, the massacre stuff that's going on at this time or the, the fragging incidents that are happening at this time. And as well as just the psychological damage and the drug abuse thing that's going on too during that time. So it's a very tumultuous time for, I mean, that, that's not just happening in Vietnam, but I mean, it's also happening over here as well. I mean, there's, there's, there's great civil unrest, there's, there's protests, there's all these different things going on, but uh, Vietnam in 60, 68 with, with the casualties things is, is just, I think it's really interesting that you have this amount of people there and you have, like I said, like, like 80,000 80, casualties out of this five, 500, almost 600,000 uh, soldiers who are active and participating in the Vietnam conflict there. So, I mean, that is a pretty staggering statistic if you think about it. Right. Yeah. And I, I think it's really good to look at it by year like that, because if we look at it by month, it seems to kind of minimize it. Right. Like Tet numbers versus what you just said and what like you get 68 uh, with the number killed almost 17,000, I think is like 1600 or 16,800. Right. Right. But uh, like you start extrapolating out further on those stats and, and that's a great comparison on the troops on the ground there. I'd read that, but I just hadn't connected the dots on it, but uh, that's a high number. Right. It is. And yeah, I mean, proportionately, yeah, that's, it's, it's almost like if you go over there, right, you have a very high percentage that you're going to be wounded or killed, you know, in, in some fashion, something is going to happen to you that is uh uh, not good. <laughs> well, okay. So while we're on that, and, and this this is way more of a narrative today. And one thing that I, uh, you know, that is not so much a narrative today in law enforcement, but in veterans for sure, is mm-hmm. um, you you mentioned a minute ago, like psychological, but like the traumatic experiences that these people come back home with, or that uh, the people that are still boots on the ground that have been traumatized and are not receiving. Um, 
any treatment and they're still out there engaging with not just the enemy, but also um, peaceful villagers as well in North and South Vietnam. So uh, that seems to be uh, another uh, serious issue. Like with, if you get into me lie, right. Charlie company was, you could say this always comes up anytime I listen to a podcast or read about this, that Charlie company, they had um, experienced like 28 killed or injured, right? So they mm-hmm. had like some, some psychological toll on them because everybody had kind of knew somebody that had been killed or booby-trapped or maimed. And that leads to me lie in which, uh, let's see what, um, everybody kind of always like, well, it was, it was villagers or no Viet Cong. It was men, women, and children, the elderly, but here's check this out. 173 children, 56 of which were infants are killed in Milai. Uh, 182 women, 17 of which were pregnant. Right. Right. So the, um, you know, and imagine the psychological toll on people that were there that did not want to participate in that massacre because those groups that did exist, mm-hmm. you know? right, right. And then there's the people that have been sent over the edge that perhaps were so damaged by what they had seen and been through and, and were experiencing through the, through the war that, uh, they, they perhaps committed those atrocities. So like mental health, uh, like the, uh, officer, uh, who has uh, been at the forefront of this whole George Floyd thing. It's like, no one, I, I haven't heard anybody. I mean, yes, everything's uh, kind of very heated on race right now. And um, right. I've been providing some commentary on that, but it's like, well, one thing a, a psychologist friend of mine pointed out is like, no one is talking about mental health of law enforcement at all on a national level right, right. now. Right. And it takes us a long time to start talking about that for vets. Yeah, right. I yeah, I, I think you're you're absolutely right with that. But I mean, uh, I, it's almost always been this perceived thing of weakness, right? In terms of like like sort of this American macho image or whatever. You know, you're not supposed to have these sort of feelings or whatever. <laughs> you know, or, or humane feelings. You know, you we're supposed to experience things like this if we have a conscience, right? It's, it's almost like there's a, there's a sense of denial with it uh, in, in terms of the military thing. And yeah, the massacre stuff really brings that into, into focus, like uh, with, with that, yeah. I kind of think that that may be, like I've been thinking about that as a, like what people would call brainwashing, right? Yeah. But not somewhat in the literal sense, but like a numbing down, of your conscious, uh, just how you would respond uh, in a situation that didn't require you to respond aggressively or, you know, and then you take like boots on the ground in the war. It just amplifies. Like, so if, if we're seeing it, you know, and you, a lot of police beatings in, in 1968 of peaceful protesters, university, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, so you see some parallels there, but I, I still haven't seen that be a, a narrative and it seems with the warrior types in our culture that that may be like what you said, it would uh, elicit this uh, air of weakness amongst yeah. uh, your, their peers. And that's unfortunate. Right. 
Right. Well, like uh, with with sort of what's going on with the sort of the the, uh, the protests now and and uh, with per police brutality and all that, I think an interesting point that I've heard that's been raised is that uh, police are sort of geared toward being warriors instead of being protectors, and that that has somewhat influenced sort of how they interact with, uh, say, I mean, not just all people, but unfortunately with, uh, with uh, people of color or uh, a different race. And uh, that, that, yeah, they, they're more geared toward being sort of, um, yeah, over-militarized, sort of testosterone-driven. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, right. Instead of being, being trained in order to protect your, your community and protect people in your community, community regardless of, of, of who they who they are you know so uh, I was I was joking around with a cop buddy of mine and I was like you guys need to stop uh, being out there trying to catch us and put <laughs> something wrong you know and uh, like be there when we need you patrol yes but right, like, right, right. I mean you know, they're very much like my whole life driving and I'm not like I'm not a big lawbreaker, man, but like anytime right. I'm in a vehicle and I see a cop car, I'm like, Oh, Oh my God. Oh, well, how fast am I going? <laughs> right. Right. I, I know. Do, do the same thing. <laughs> and is that, is that what we want from that? Or like, Oh, Hey, there's a cop. He could help me if I needed it. Like I've had to right. approach a couple of cops to just ask for directions. And I, I was super nervous about that. Like I, one time I was in Dallas and we were lost and it was night. It was like 2 a.m. And there was a cop sitting right there and there's all this construction. And I was, I, I like walked up with my hands or I was like, Hey, uh, officer, I'm lost. This is my hotel. It's around here somewhere. But I, I just, and maybe, uh, maybe that's just my nervousness, you know, but it's like, I, I don't think so. Like, um, it's, it's seems to be, that's the result of some of the, uh, prolonged things like what you're talking about. I mean, when I was just a kid, uh, is when Rodney King beatings happened. Right. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. was too young to know what was going on with that. Right. But I wasn't too young to know that these cops beat this dude up. It was like yeah. one of my first, I was like four years old or something. Right. It's like, Oh, what's going on on the TV with that? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, right. Even as a as a as a child, yeah, you recognize that yeah, there's something obviously wrong here. Mm -hmm. That's that's not right. But yeah, we don't we don't look in a way we don't look to police as as guardians or as as protectors. They're they're kind of like they're unfortunately their own sort of military force. <laughs> yeah, so it's really it's really unfortunate. And you know, I mean, like we can talk about making that move toward where they're more more in this this sort of yeah we'll we'll help you out when you need us type thing uh but their their reputation definitely precedes them for the opposite of that well i just hope that out of this um comes some great dialogue for uh potential ways that things could change for the positive right right yeah, no, right. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I just, I just think it's wild that we're talking about sort of the, this casualty thing and, you know, going into these, these different, different things that are happening in 1968 and how much it actually, in a way, parallels 
sort of what's happening today to what was happening then. And it's, it's interesting to me that it makes more sense to talk about it in 2020 than it would have, say, uh, 50 years later, like two years ago. 50, like, like in 2018, you know, hey, it's 50 years since 1968, let's talk about that. But it's actually more relevant now in 2020 than it was in 2018. <laughs> True, man. I just that... think that that's, that's really, really fascinating. It's really interesting how everything's just exploded. And it's also, I mean, we're in the midst of the, uh, the upcoming presidential election like they were in 68, right? And that's kind of fueling all this stuff going on. And you got the media involved and you got all these different, different factors into it. But it's, it's just the most appropriate time to be talking about 1968 right now. And it's sort of like in the text message that you sent me, you're like, you know, we got to get out there and we got to tell people about this because they're not going to know about it. And I think you're absolutely right in that regard that, yeah, that, that this needs to be talked about right now and that there maybe is something that we can take away from this as historians and as people. So totally agreed, man. And not just yourself either. Every historian that I've talked with about what's going on, because I mean, quite literally this whole last, I mean, well, since the, since the killing of George Floyd, right. Like, it's just like the lockdown plus this, and then these riots and hundreds of cities, like it hasn't been like this in my lifetime for sure. I'm 33 years old. Uh, but, I can't like I can't compare this to anything so then I start reaching out to historians like Woods and people that are older than me and I'm like hey what what's going on here what have you seen anything like this what would you compare this to because I'm comparing it to 1968 you know And, and that's what everybody kind of was it's like look there's 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 years that have changed America greatly 1968 is one and we're starting to see that 2020 is gonna be a year uh, that is a, a, I almost want to say like the, the real casualty for me, I was going to save this to the end, right? It was like, I mean, you can always reiterate that point, you know, I mean, if it's, you know, if it's important, which I have no doubt it is. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Cause like, I mean, I have things that like, I, because we, we tend to think of casualties as just as people or as great leaders and things like that. But perhaps what's most important here is the casualties in 1968 are essentially the ideas that the 60s were founded on, right? Yes. Yes, yes. Like hearts and minds. Yeah, right. Right? I mean, and man, that is for me, like the the faith in our process and in living up to America's highest ideals, right? Like Like you just look around at both these like years and it's like, how are we seem so far away from that right Right. of being able to um whether we're striving to achieve it or not or whether whether it's in the narrative it just seems like a little further away at this period at that point of time right yeah no i i agree like you you mentioned that you know is there a moment that's like comparable to this in our lifetime that we can remember and perhaps the closest thing is uh september 11 2001 right but even then it, it didn't feel like this like hopelessness i would say it felt like people actually banded together and hey we're gonna change things you know or, or we're gonna we're gonna band together but now it's just like the fabric is just continually 
unwinding. Everything is continually falling apart, right? And it's just like, you have this feeling that maybe it's just going to get worse from this point. And, and, and in a way, that's kind of the 68 thing. It's spiraling out of control at this point. And that's kind of where we are right now, where it's the death, what, the death of the dream. Right. Yeah, yes. Because you always say that about '68. It's the year that the dream died. And but what what necessarily is that dream? And I guess one of the points that I wanted to make is is did this dream really die, or did it just taper off? Did it just go into some slumber? And maybe now at this moment it is being awakened again. We're coming back to this idea, these these promises that should have been fulfilled in the '60s. And maybe, maybe now is the time that we need to, to possibly, yeah, fulfill those, those ideas that we have just sort of put on the back burner for the past 50 some odd years. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very much, I think, a, um, taking some steps back to take some steps forward. You yeah. Know? Uh, that sort of metaphor with, with what's going on. Um, and you know, like, let's talk about this parallel, uh, as we kind of get into the discussion about, uh, King Mm -hmm. is look how much, man, this has become a new wave of the civil rights movement. Right. Yeah. Like with what's going on now. Uh, and that is, uh, I, I have often also compared the time that we're living in right now to a third red scare. Okay. Yeah. No, right. Right. But, um, you know, that's kind of, uh, that, that could be another talk in and of itself. But um, this, uh, this issue with, uh, with the death of George Floyd leading to this uh, hundreds of cities with you having protest, which are, you know, going to drive forward this narrative and hopefully produce uh, some positive results in all, and not just in like we're talking about law enforcement, but in racial racial relations right that is um that is where we need to see improvements i feel like there's very much this idea that when we talk about martin luther king and the civil rights movement that that had been achieved right right? that it's done and it's and we're seeing very much so right now this year that it is not done we have a ways to go that we're maybe a couple of generations away yeah, yeah. I think that that is a fantastic point. And I, that is one of the things that I wanted to focus on in this is that a lot of people tend to look back on uh, sort of the death of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as sort of the end of the civil rights movement. That's sort of like when it stops and that pretty much everything had been achieved prior to that with, say, the Civil Rights Acts of 64 and 65, that you have this legislation, and after that, everything is just peachy, right? Like, everything uh-huh. is going to work out. Hey, everything's good. But that once uh, Dr. King is shot and killed in Memphis in uh, April of 68, that that is like sort of the end of the classic civil rights movement. And we've seen historians argue often about where does the civil rights movement begin, but there's always sort of this agreement that, oh, okay, well, it ends whenever Dr. King dies. But the truth of the matter is that the civil rights movement never did end. It just sort of flickered out. It, I mean, it was there, but it just sort of devolved into chaos at this point, and that it has just sort of been an unfulfilled promise since that time. And that maybe now in 2020, we are seeing 
where we might have the possibility to fulfill that promise again. Promise of the promised land. Right. right. So, I mean, that's a man. I listened to that speech today. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll tell you another super powerful one that uh, is the eulogy of RFK. Right. right. But it, it, that is both of those speeches are just so powerful. But right. it's just like, you know, like what he's talking about. It's like that is a has that been achieved? I would say no. No, right. Like, right, so, right. and I would say, and, and I think that's, that's what we are saying is, is that we still have a ways to go. Uh, but what, you know, it, we need to still be asking the question is like, what can we do to bring out, uh, to bring about that achievement as yeah. a society? Um, like, I mean, it was, I've been listening to all of these, uh, different speeches from RFK's, uh, you know, either like when he's running or, or before, and it's um, it's so crazy. Like when he starts to uh, interject commentary on civil rights, how um, like have you seen that one where he's talking to that sheriff, and he's like, "Hey, why'd you arrest these people?" Yeah, and he's like, "They're peaceful protesters." He's like, "Well, somebody told me they were gonna riot, so I arrested them." He's like, "But they didn't break the law," and he's like. Yeah. Uh, but they were going to, and he goes, but they did, but you can't, he's like, okay, well, right, on the lunch break, I'm going to need you to read the constitution because you can't do that. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but not heavily, right? Uh, yeah. you know, but, uh, but just the questions that we were asking at that time, like, this is a, this is a real question. Uh, and I believe this was, uh, it was either RFK or when, uh, JFK first started talking about it. it's when we started to, um, interject the morals into it it's like do all americans deserve this or just the white ones like literally like we were asking that question on a national stage in politics yeah. right in the early 60s yeah way back yeah way when back. my and parents and your parents were alive yeah you know? and that's that's the still a question that we're we, we're still asking ourselves today that that there we haven't provided a well, I, I think there is a valid answer to that question, and that's that all Americans are not treated equally, unfortunately, right? But that 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 we, especially now, we 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 see that. But that that yeah, that that question sort of it's almost like it wants to be avoided. Like people don't want to face that. That they kind of just want to. Uh, you know, it's it, what I just keep telling people is, look, this is not comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not comfortable for you to know the history of Emmett Till. It's not yeah, comfortable yeah. for you to know that we put up a, a monument for that boy in 2008 and somebody shot it 317 times. Right. It's not, it's not comfortable to know that stuff's still going on and that um, there's a prominent lawyer in Harrison, Arkansas that is uh, entrenched in the Klan and is very, very racist. But yeah. yet we have peaceful protests happening in Harrison, Arkansas. So that's great. Yeah, right. right. But um, it's it's not it's very much so not comfortable to learn the history of slavery, of uh, yeah. civil rights movement, the whole narrative for 400 years. It's not. It, I've I mean, I've cried many times recently yes. because it's like, oh, man, I'm going to go back through it. I'm going to consume yeah. all the material I can so I can hopefully uh, increase my empathy level a little right. bit. Or, or and or be able to 
like there's this guy Daryl Davis who gets clan members he's a, he's a, he's a black man he, and he's a, a a musician but he befriends racist older racist white men and then they're like clan members oftentimes gets mm. them to leave the clan yeah. like that is like that's like somebody being like oh hey you're completely broke and homeless here's two thousand dollars like you know yeah. like just totally like restore your faith in humanity type yes. stuff like oh like so that tells me right there that we can educate s- some people it, but here's the thing it's like are we going to be able to do that within our own racial lines because he's a black man educating white people and they're seeing that he is like you and i Right. right that that, he, yes. that that there is not this these lies that they've been right. told that that doesn't hold up and it's like that is i mean i know that probably you say the same thing man uh it wasn't until i went to college and learned this history that we're talking about did i get vested i mean man how right. many how many black people for, from our town a few but i, I like it was like uh four or five in my like great vicinity right like within my grade or a grade under me or grade below me in high school so it's like we just didn't we didn't grow up around it and not on enough of a scale to see like and know and i man i sure didn't learn the history in high school to be able to empathize and only through my education that that empathy has come and it's my hope that people listen to this podcast people do their research people pay attention to what's going on can empathize right. with not just african-americans but gay people right yeah right. yeah i mean you know women like yes right systematically right. disenfranchised right. native yeah. americans right yeah absolutely no i i mean i completely agree with that and you're right about the the empathy thing i mean i was always sort of interested in the civil rights thing and all that but it's like to me it really didn't hit and you were talking about this like you texted me and you're like hey i'm watching eyes on the prize here right which was a, a documentary that was made like in 1986 1987 Good. and and uh, it that is an exceptional documentary if you want to experience sort of like to empathize with it that is a good tool i mean it's all primary sources you see the footage of these these unfortunate people being beaten and, 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 and just, you know, discriminated against. And it's like, why, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't, and it's, it's, it's both empowering, but it's also like, uh, but yeah, it, it, it really, really is. It's, it's emotional. It's very emotional. And, and that to me is sort of what, what really got me onto this saying, okay, this is extremely vital. It's extremely important. This isn't just some event that occurred in the sixties. It's something that we have to be concerned about today. And always, we always have to keep these principles in mind that we're, we're all equal, man. We're all in this together, you know, and, and that, that racial inequality has no room now. And that that would ever be a controversial idea. Like we yeah, just, yeah. we like, can't, how, right. how can people oppose this, you know? Well, and we can't, you know, and a whole lot of people are just sitting around shaking their heads, just being like, well, that's a very small percentage, or I don't know anybody that's racist, or I don't, I don't discriminate against white people. But the, the, to say all those things in my mind is to diminish what 
you don't know, right? Like what people you don't know are going through. It's like, just because I've been telling everybody, it's not true for you. I get it. It's not true for you, but it's true. Okay. Let's go over here and look at this example from history. Oh, let's fast forward to how it's still going on. Yeah. In our time. Would you believe that? That sucks. Do you need 150 more examples? Cause I got them, you know, but it's just like, and I just tried to stay uh, like there's it, 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 it would even be a controversial idea to argue for racial equality. And then people argue that it doesn't exist or like some guy was like, well, you know, I get discriminated against called a redneck. And I'm just like, dude, you could change everything about that. If you wanted, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, could, you could dress right. different and talk different. Like, I mean, whatever. And I was like, I don't think that, that this, whole class of people is just talking shit about you. I was like, but if they were, that's all stuff you can change. You can't, yes, you can't change. And like Cora turned me on this the other day, there was a, it was like a, a Ted talk or, or something was this lady asked, she, it was an all white audience. And she was like, who here would trade places with a black person in society? Stand up. No one stood up. You know, like, and it, mm-hmm. she was trying to illustrate that it's like, okay, so see, you do know. Right, right. On some subconscious level, right, that there is this, yeah, you, yeah, you do know that there is an inequality, in right? Yeah, and uh, this is another one that, um, that I've heard, uh, like, basically, um, you know, our parents never had to have the talk with us about, yeah. like, because you know, think about, uh, think about somebody our age's mom, what their parents went through. So the stories that they're going to tell their kid and how, you know, it's like, those are conversations that they don't happen for, you know, are, are in our households. And and that is, uh, that's something that someone pointed out that I know. And I was just like, Oh man, it's like, yeah, my, my mom had to talk with me about how, if I get arrested or, or about these other incidents that happened to people we knew or this history mm-hmm. that occurred that had happened to my grandpa or my dad. And, and it's just yeah. like, Oh man, like I, I'd never even real. I mean, yeah, you know, but you only through talking with your neighbor, man, and researching and watching eyes on the prize and having a conversation right, with right. your friend who's also researching, I, you know, things I don't. Right. right man i'm so jealous you got to take a graduate course in civil rights bro. man it was it was mind-blowing i mean it was great like like i recommend i i i hope they bring it back uh i mean it's it was it was an exceptional course it, was it on rotation like every two years or something oh uh, i mean i i don't i don't know that was but that was that was dr moses that did that and that was yeah that was an exceptional course and uh yeah i mean i learned a lot from that about about the movement and about sort of its place. And yeah, the, 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 this, this idea that sort of where does the civil rights movement begin and where does it end? And uh, it's sort of like I've said before, I don't, I, I don't think it, it has ended. I think we have just sort of placed it out of our minds and that we have these fire ups that come up that bring these, these ideas back, but that, that the, the central core uh, ideas of the civil rights movement have still not been achieved. That 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 it 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 it's not just some period in history. Oh, been there, done that. 
but that it, it's, it's relevant today and that it's, it's not just a, a historical issue. I mean, it, I mean, it's a historical issue and an ethical issue, but it's something that, that, that tells us not only about our history, but about our humanity. And, and I, I think that that's vital. That's absolutely vital. So here's something I've been thinking about. Like the second episode of Eyes on the Prize about Little Rock Nine, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I know that you've, you've talked about um, are, are you, like maybe a planned episode for an Arkansas uh, episode on, on that, right? Right, yeah. We were going to talk uh, about maybe uh, Orville Falbus and sort of yeah. his Right, or, but so maybe I think for a lot of Arkansans, since we, you know, integrated in the late 50s, three years after the Supreme Court decision, I would like to point out, um, that maybe that things ended there. But very much so, they did not. Like, right. I mean, the disenfranchisement goes on. And it's like, that is why it's so vitally important to, like, keep going through that, uh, whether it's eyes on the prize or just that history post your state like for us being in arkansas it's like yeah okay cool we're integrated uh the movement's not over you you fast forward to 68 when when uh martin luther king's assassinated right uh, it's very and and the things that are going on in 68 in terms of protest and mp4 i mean it was it was robert kennedy seeing them brutalized that upped his investment in the movement right you know, like, and uh, one of his uh, staff got got beaten as well, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, on the Freedom Rides, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, man. that was in the early, yeah, that was the early '60s, the Freedom Rides. Yeah, 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 this, but that's when uh, I believe when RFK first started getting invested, started. To, right. So here's another thing I wanted to ask you about, just while we're on it, right? So you have RFK getting morally vested. You know, uh, you have the, I think too, I never really got into this either, but how interesting it is the Kennedy brothers, uh, is him as attorney general, how many, how much they were working as a team together, right? Yeah. That's yeah. something that I would like to uh, explore a little more, but okay. So JFK, his civil rights uh, dialogue doesn't have a lot of, uh, I don't know, mobility to it. He gets assassinated. LBJ breathes some life into it, but right. still fast forward to 68. It's not where it should be. RFK is kind of running on that platform. He's got a track right. record of like, Hey, yeah, I became more empathetic. I saw, I changed, uh, you know, like I, I was, I watched this interview of him going to um, some like poor neighborhoods and being like, if I came out of these neighborhoods, I would have been a juvenile delinquent or a revolutionary. But yeah. he didn't. He came out of a super privileged household, you know, uh, was uh, LBJ just called him like a snot-nosed little brat or something like that, right? But LBJ gets these civil rights movements passed while he's sitting in the White House talking to George Wallace about the most atrocious things ever, honestly. Yeah. Like those, the LBJ tapes on that are just disgusting, right? Yes, yeah. And, and LBJ's quotes, Mitch Lerner shared this the other day. He's like, well, you know, I've taken uh, the black man from a, from a D plus to a C minus, you know, and it's like, but, you know, so that is an interesting thing that I'd never like really paralleled is that, you know, LBJ got some things passed, but 
fast forward to when he's stepping down or not not running for re-election it's like how much how much has he really achieved right well i and and if, if you think about it too right it's the the pieces of of legislation that lbj is remembered for which are the civil rights acts were, were passed in 64 and 65 but lbj still set in office for another three years after that right and, and what is essentially happening in those three years between the passing of the legislature and when he leaves office? This is when you have, you have Watts in 65. You, you have uh, the long hot summer, right? Where you have like uh, 150 plus race riots break out in the inner cities of America you know, during, during this time. The Black Panthers appear at this time. Black nationalism, right? So it's like, I don't know if, if it's like he just felt that I passed the legislature, we're done, you know, and, and maybe that is like that way with a lot of people. I think when, when you put a law into being, people just automatically assume, oh, it's the law. It must be followed at this point. But of course, we know that's not true. People have to have a, 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 an ethical transformation, a change. It's not just a sheet of paper that makes it so. People have to change. Yeah. And, and then the then goes into the age old question. How do you win over hearts and minds? Yeah, right. Which is the Vietnam problem, right? <laughs> I mean, you got that going on too. You know, how, how do we solve this problem? But then you have this bigger problem going on back home too. Yeah. The fight for the hearts and minds of people who, and that ultimately becomes the, the greatest casualty probably of the 68 thing, yeah. right? Is, is uh, yeah, the dream. <laughs> so april 4th uh so memphis i would like to go um maybe one day if you have some time any time in the future i would love to go up and get some footage and maybe do some sort of docu episode uh from memphis maybe a follow-up uh mlk episode or something you know I, I i go to memphis not like super regular but a few times a year or two but i think it'd be cool to get some footage i know you've been um to uh dealey plaza right yeah uh, few, yeah 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 so um but i think that would be super cool to 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 run up there since we're so close i mean we're three and a half hours yeah away. right it's not that far so. <laughs> but uh so king um assassinated on his balcony by james earl ray right uh and that sparks a bunch of protesting rioting violence yeah i think that kind of gets forgotten too right is that there there was this this immense outpouring uh, of this public response that right you have this rioting that occurs in these major cities and which leads to that that great moment with with rfk where he steps out and tries to you know stop the mob and say hey you know my brother was killed by a white man too you know it's like so i you know i kind of know where y'all are coming from here but you know you need to you know kind of kind of stop it or whatever but you know i mean that's that's a great moment for him and it shows right his empathy with with minorities and but uh right that there was this massive outpouring this outcry whenever king was killed i think kind of in the history books if you like read it say in high school or whatever it's just like well he died and that was pretty much it right but that's not it right you get the rioting but then eventually you get congress who passed uh, the uh, civil rights 68 act which has to do with the housing authority stuff. So it's like they're being spurned into motion by uh, this, this outpouring of, of, 
of different emotions over Dr. King's death and over the civil rights movement. But I mean, right, and it's, it's not just technically about King's death, even though he's viewed as the figurehead sort of of the movement, but it's sort of like, yeah, where is the movement now? Where, wh where are we now? You know, that, that sort of thing. One thing I was uh, reading that, that blew my mind about this, that like I knew there were, I knew where, there were protests and riots, mostly because of the story that you just mentioned with RFK. Mm -hmm. But uh, thousands of National Guard, regular Army, uh, Marines were all deployed uh, right. to, to deal with riots in hundreds of cities. And that's when you, de uh, you definitely do see violence against peaceful protesters from uh, police and otherwise, but parallel to today, 39 dead, 2,600, um, or uh, sorry, uh, 20, how was it? 2,600 injured and then 21,000 arrested across the country, yeah. I think are the stats on that. But um, that is, um, I didn't know it was on the scale it was with the use of military force. Right. Well, the National Guard apparently had their hands very busy in the late 60s, you know, with everything that's going on. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of just skirted over. Maybe you get like a sentence that's like, hey, there were some protests. But right, you don't really go to this, I mean, where it's like practically martial law on the streets. I mean, people were very, very upset. And upset. Okay, so... Here's another parallel that like, it, it's kind of a contextual thing. I've been trying to wrap my mind around uh, and do some research around Nixon's Southern strategy, but mm -hmm. that's again, another talk, which I would love to do a talk with you on about that because that's him bringing in, like Woods and I were talking about this today, bringing in the Southern Democrats and getting, you get sort of this transference of like uh, the, the racist agenda along party lines sort of swapping if that makes right. sense, right? Because I, I, don't, I don't really think about my uh, racist uh, liberal friends, you know what I'm saying? I, it's, it's opposite. Right, I understand, yeah. But so with Nixon, when these riots are coming on, right, when, when this, this is all happening, that's when Nixon re-interjects into the conversation, not necessarily for the first time, but he, um, he basically says that he is going to save the country of all of this domestic violence right so he starts kind of being like oh i got a plan for this all right so yeah. but you, you go back on the hearts and minds thesis we keep uh, hammering on think about the faith in our our democratic process that was eroded because of this stuff that happened in 68 cause and effect you get lbj mm -hmm. uh, stepping down nixon wins re-election ends up uh, stepping down because of Watergate. So right. it's like, that is just, a, again, a cause and effect for me that's like, oh man, like that is inherently connected, you know, on an interesting level. Right. No, no, I, 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 yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, a, that's, that's a good point. But yeah, it is, a, it is definitely a, a cause and effect thing. I mean, there's, there's a lot that's happened. Yeah, I mean, MLK dies, right? And he's, yeah, right, he's killed by James Earl Ray, which, I mean, that's, that's sort of an interesting story because, I mean, it takes them, I think, well over a month before they catch him. And uh, eventually he confesses to the crime, but then he recants his statement because he believes that 
uh, he's going to be pardoned at some point because of what he did or whatever. I don't know, but like, like it's it's just uh, and then the RFK thing where you get him where he's the the Democratic. He went he wins the primary right in, in California at that time, and then he's shot by Sirhan Sirhan in the 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 basement kitchen of the um, uh, Ambassador Hotel right yeah. in Los yeah. Angeles, and it, it's it's just like. Um, you, you, you get the conspiracy thing in there at some point, right? About like, okay, well, did James Earl Ray act alone? Was he part of a larger conspiracy? Was this somehow connected to the CIA, which is something that he would later claim, right? Or Sirhan Sirhan, was he brainwashed? You know, so it's like, it's not just, uh, I mean, there's a lot of doubt. There's, there's just yeah. a lot of doubt that's generating and it's eroding away at sort of people's belief in, in the government. And you get the resurgence too in, in, in the theories about the JFK assassination during this time period, because you have uh, the trial of Clay Shaw in New Orleans by uh, District Attorney Jim Garrison, which is in the headlines all over the place. You know, hey, Kennedy was killed by CIA, FBI, military industrial complex. This was all that caused Vietnam, you know, all that. So it's like you have different points that are breaking the columns of the institutions that a sort of the country is built on and it's just creating a lot of doubt <laughs> watch our previous episode with thurman's first appearance on the podcast for more info on those trials <laughs> or, or you can access your, I, I know you can mine but can't you access your master's thesis online yeah uh -huh. yeah okay. it's online fantastic yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely listeners check that out. If you want, um, more info, listen to the podcast and read the thesis. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great point, man. Um, that is, uh, something I was reading into the Sirhan Sirhan case a little bit and with the, the jockeying of the guilty, not guilty, uh, how things, because if my if I'm not mistaken, first it was like he was asking for death. Mm -hmm. Then they're wanting to change, like they're okay, we're gonna get it to lie. It was just a circus, man. Uh, like right. what I was reading, I couldn't. I was like, man, and this, and then on, on top of that, you've got the whole Manchurian candidate, right? Uh, yeah, that he was like larger conspiracies, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah that, yeah, that he was was somehow brainwashed or programmed in order to to shoot and kill RFK or whatever, and. What what narrative on that do you go with that he was upset about like the Six Day War and uh, like him having some nationalistic leanings with the war in the Middle East? Like, is that I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I it's like the 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 RFK thing is something that I I haven't really delved into that far, but as as far as is that yeah, I mean that could be the most likely explanation for that. I don't think it was a conspiracy. I don't think that. Uh, there, there were multiple shooters. I know that there's also this theory out there that it was like a friendly fire situation that, that maybe one of the Secret Service agents in trying to shoot Sirhan accidentally shot um, Robert Kennedy, you know, that, that, that sort of well, thing. What, five other people were shot, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right, yeah, yeah, I mean, right. <laughs> there, there, there were other people who were wounded in that shooting. And, uh, uh, but like the, the conspiracy thinking type, type idea or whatever, also the MLK thing, I, I, I bet it was just, 
James Earl Ray acting alone, you know, even though later you get this sort of convoluted CIA plot that Ray was working for a guy named Raul who had some CIA connections and, hey, I want you to buy this gun and place it in this hotel, you know, at this time point, which I think was sort of the theory that they were, were throwing out there. But that, uh, uh, that part of the reason why uh, Ray reversed his confession was that he wanted to avoid the death penalty, even though that was at that time ruled unconstitutional. They didn't know that. But that it, it sort of like inadvertently leads to these conspiracy sort of claims. And you also get some of the researchers from the JFK thing are also involved in the, the MLK thing. Being like, well, there was a second shooter over here. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it gets pretty good. Well, uh, you know, the CIA, you've mentioned them a couple of times. Um, I was reading about them infiltrating into the protests and that would be something that I'm gonna definitely gonna read up more on. I just need a you know, Woods had given me a, a book suggestion here and I, I I purchased it in my Audible, but I need to go ask him some good sources for just like uh spy stuff for nineteen sixty eight because yeah. you read so much about CIA involvement that it would be um I think a good uh Let's see. Okay. The Search for the Manchurian Candidate by John Marks. Um, the CIA and Mind Control, The Secret History of the Behavioral Sciences. Because mm -hmm. I was asking Woods, I was like, hey, what do you think about this uh, Charles Manson book about the CIA and stuff? He was like, he had a, he had a pretty good opinion on it. Um, I listened to it and I regret doing it. It, it, it was just it didn't do anything. It, he he asked a lot of really cool questions, but he totally lost me when he started trying to answer them. Right. But, but he said to take a look at this one, uh, this half the length too. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to that as soon as I finish the one I'm on, but that is right. something the CIA in 68, that could be a good follow-up episode for us to tackle. Maybe uh, we need to do an episode with like me, you and Woods. He's coming yeah, on. I mean, next, I'm, I'm next down with that. Well, I mean, 68 is important too, because you have the MK ultra experiments that are going on at this point with the, you know, the mind control and the psychedelic drugs. And of course you get the rise of the counterculture during this time period. And of course you get people who are like, well, Hey, we're the CIA somehow involved in that, you know, and right. Like with the man's bit, like one of the interesting things is like, Hey, maybe the CIA were behind the people's temple with uh, Jim Jones and later like the Jonestown massacre. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it gets wild, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, like just like ah, they're experimenting social right, experiments. Yeah. yeah. Right. Ex exactly. Well, you know, the, one of the one of the most interesting uh, people in not condoning or coming down on any sides, but people spinning these coronavirus conspiracies. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, somebody said that goes, "This is an experiment to see how fast they can bring us under control," which yeah. is apparently pretty damn fast. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of yeah. funny," you know. Yeah. But uh, but you know, I mean, but think like. Th that has gone on in this time period mm -hmm. that we're referencing back to and and perhaps it's always going on on some level about uh you know how do you control crowds like yeah. i mean you've got to be able to uh to control chaotic situations but it's like how do you derive that without having a crowd to control 
Right. You got to yeah. wait for a historical example. I mean, I'm not saying that we create these situations so we can experiment with controlling a crowd, but uh, it's, um, it is interesting how you would derive the best ways of doing that. Maybe that it's difficult to, and it's been a long time is why we're seeing so many acts of brutality here against peaceful kneeling protesters or, or whatever, you know, standing yeah. in neutral areas so they can be protesting, but we are seeing that. And I think that right now is a byproduct of not uh, having the training. I know not a friend of mine, but a, a really good friend of mine's friend is in the national guard. And he got deployed to deal with this, right? Um, and he's like, told my friend, he's like, man, we we have no clue what we're doing. Like, it's just like yeah. a big confusing thing. The guy that's his commander's like, I don't know what we're doing. Like, we're not prepared for this. We're not ready to deal with this. And it's like, great. Because that's like, then you're going to be violent because you don't know what to do, mm -hmm. would be my assertion. But um not being prepared to deal with uh, the stuff going on in 2020. That's a classic case of not learning from our 1968 history. Right. Right. No. Yeah. I'm, right. Absolutely. I, <laughs> you're right. It's just like a, it's, it's a whole, just, just a recipe for disaster. Pretty much you, you have right. Both, both sides of this equation have not been in this situation recently or before. So it's, it's like, yeah, nobody really knows what to do. And I mean, that's not just with protesters or with police or National Guard, but that also has to do with our legislature as well, with, with our, our government and, and with just us, the average citizen. How are we supposed to react to this, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a fascinating time, and it definitely does reflect sort of this era, this era of uncertainty where you know we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow but i guess the murder hornets are gone now so <laughs> that was just like, that that was a monster of the week episode yeah that. right yeah it's like the x-files or supernatural or whatever <laughs> x-files like, is what i was going for yeah. man <laughs> uh, <laughs> right so you know but this is something like okay so protest how long have we been having protests now it's um it's the seventh there's another protest in russellville tonight and we're okay. a small city but they are still happy i saw philadelphia yesterday was insane with the yeah. number of people they had um but it's still going on um been going on for a few weeks now mm -hmm. um what i guess like two weeks uh going yeah. into the going into week three if i'm not mistaken but something to point out with the 68 comparison is that these protests and riots and incidents of violence occurred from the time King was assassinated all the way through right. the Democratic National Convention in August. Right. right, yeah, yeah, it was just the, uh, right, unrelenting. And I mean, if you, if you look historically, I mean, like, in the years preceding that, you will see how many different disturbances that there are leading up to these points. I mean, the insanity, like I said, of the long hot summer, which was in 67, which you had 150 plus riots break out in these different cities in America. And it's all over racial inequality. However, by 68, you start to see a turning point, And that's when it leads into like the Democratic National Convention, right? Where the protesters 
it becomes in a way less, unfortunately, it becomes less about the civil rights thing. The civil rights thing becomes more of a side and aside to the larger problem of Vietnam, right? People are more pro, hey, we don't need to be over in Vietnam, but we're gonna forget about these other people who've been marching and protesting and trying to change the system for 10, 15 years, you know? And, and, and to me, I think that, and I, I think I said it before, is that the civil rights movement is the ultimate casualty of 68, of, of, of this time period, because the ideas of that are shelved for the Vietnam War movement. That becomes the invoked thing. Hey, we, you know, hell no, we won't go. You know, that sort of thing like that. And, 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 and the civil rights thing sort of gets buried. It gets forgotten. And that's why we are currently in the state we are, because we went back to sleep. Yeah, it, yeah that is. That's very thought provoking. That could be a... And we shouldn't have. We shouldn't have. We shouldn't have. That should have been one of the major. And I, I know this is this is probably considered like, hey, this is that that Monday morning quarterbacking type stuff. Oh, hey, they should have done this or they should have done that. But is that the civil rights movement should have not been just relegated as uh, as as just another scene to this larger picture of the Vietnam conflict thing, when. The civil rights protests, the groups in uh, like like King with the uh, um, with uh, uh, the SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership um, Council, uh, were some of the first people to be opposed to the Vietnam War. So you can say in a way that a lot of the Vietnam protests actually originates with with Black Americans with yes. the civil rights movement, and a lot of that has to do too because. African Americans, Black Americans, were being disproportionately drafted into the army versus whites at this time period. I, you know, I like okay. So Mitch Lerner, that guy I talked with, he's he's writing a book on this, right? He's writing. Um, uh, it, I asked him this question. I was like, hey, I've read this, and I've there's a book in my stack. I just haven't got to it. He suggested a book on the podcast for me to read because I was like. What do you know about that, about why uh, these African-Americans are being disproportionately drafted into Vietnam? And he explained it briefly, gave me a book suggestion. But um, that is something else that's going on if, uh, within the Vietnam War that you're like, oh, that too? Right. You know, uh, that uh, it's like in multiple ways they're being disenfranchised. And, you know, mm -hmm. by the time of the, of the uh, Democratic National Convention in August – it does seem to be more about the anti-war protest. That's right. what is coming into the national narrative more so, I feel, uh, than civil rights. I know that, that there's still things happening with civil rights. But right, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's still going on, but it's, it's being sort of eclipsed by this, this, uh, this anti-war movement that is, is gaining traction. And, and I mean, that, that goes into with the casualty thing from Vietnam, like we were talking about, like the 80,000 casualties from just the Americans alone from that year. We, you know, we're talking about psychological damage and all. And, and, but we're also talking about uh, the assassinations of these leaders, right? Like Martin Luther King and uh, 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 Robert Kennedy. And uh, how they're kind of looked back on these as these champions of, of peace, right? 
but it's like um like with 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 robert kennedy it's like I read like a lot of like if I talk to people who've lived at that time about Robert Kennedy, it's pretty much they will talk about how Robert Kennedy was gonna hey he was gonna take us out of Vietnam or whatever you know sort of like this idea that JFK wasn't gonna escalate the the Vietnam conflict that you know they they were opposed to it but like I think it's important that we remember Robert Kennedy I mean not just this like say anti-Vietnam War thing, but right, is how he handled and appealed to the different minority groups. It was more of a, and, and I think that's kind of forgotten in the wake of this anti-war style mm-hmm. movement thing that, that takes precedence over, over the, the civil rights movement. Yeah. So one thing I was reading into briefly that I don't know a whole lot about, but uh, what, you know, I'm sure I could read books on it, but uh, the Chicago Seven, Okay. Have, yeah. have you read much about that or know much about that? Uh, I mean, I've read about it <laughs> several years ago. <laughs> so, well, they, they tr- tried to charge the uh, organizers of the protest with um, uh, conspiracy, mm-hmm. right? Um, I believe they were all acquitted, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, again, I was just reading this recently, so my, uh, my memory may not be correct. But I wonder if we're going to see something like that with these 2020 uh protest is is basically why i brought that up well i think oh go ahead, go ahead. I, I i think also right what's what's kind of fascinating is that like the anti-war movement and even like with uh with dr king and sort of the things that he's saying before he he is fatally shot um with with, with the anti-war vietnam thing is that uh the authorities say like the fbi or even lbj who's really interested and is surveilling, you know, what's going on with these different civil rights groups at this time, sort of attribute this anti-war movement, the ideal of it as sort of this communist thing that, hey, it's the, it's the communists, they're trying to, to subvert sort of the, the American belief that we need to be over there and fighting the good fight sort of thing. And, um, that you sort of see that now with the protests that are going on, right? You got Donald Trump and you got all these, these conservative pundits who are like, well, the protesters, they're the Antifa folks, right? They're all these communists, right? Who just want to destabilize the government and then bring in their own brand of socialism or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. But it, you see the parallel here is that you have the, the, the FBI and you had LBJ and these other people looking at, say, Dr. King and, and the different groups and the civil rights movements. And a lot of them are starting to radicalize at this point, like uh, uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, like yeah. kicks out all the white people, right, at this point. You know, hey, we don't want you involved in this. And they're getting militants. And you got the Black Panthers and all that. But the, yeah, the, oh, this must be communism. You know, it's not like maybe the system is broken and that's why people are reacting this way. No, it has to be this external threat that is actually creating the discord that people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. That like it's, it, but, but it's, it's almost like avoiding what is essentially the real problem here, which is the system, the system itself. You know, it's, it's, it's broken. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, you know, 
I know there's a lot going on right now, but at least there's not a Vietnam War. Maybe we can take a couple more steps forward on these issues. Yeah, okay, that is true, right? There is not that going on yet. Not yet. You know, I mean, the year, we're, we're halfway through. Well, I say that we are, like, this is a sad statistic, man, uh, is we have been in the Middle East now uh, longer than we were in Vietnam. I know, right? That is, that is something that, like, uh, uh, Terry, uh, my wife, talks to me about a lot because she's a teacher. And, you know, she's like, a lot of the kids I have now were not alive whenever, say, the September 11th uh, terrorist attacks happened. And it's like their whole lives, they've known war. You know, they, 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 have, not, they have not known uh, peace, peace in their time at all. It, it, we have constantly been in a state of emergency and state of war since, since that time period, since that day. And that, yeah, there are kids today growing up uh, I mean, who, who can be drafted now at the, or not drafted, but who can be, who, who can enlist, right? Who weren't alive at the time that the, uh, that, that the, the terrorist yeah. happened and, and that we invaded uh, Iraq and, and uh, Afghanistan. And, but yeah, that we have been there for nearly 20 years now. And, yeah. Uh, wow. It's insane. <laughs> you know, it's it really is. Yeah, man. Uh, so uh, one, I got a couple of stats here on the Democratic National Convention, right? Uh, yeah. But um, so the riots continue, right? Oh, the yeah. response is similar to the protest, violence, riots, but 650 arrests, uh, 100 were treated in hospitals, 192 police are injured and 49 of them need medical treatment. Um, but we're seeing, uh, man, uh, the last time I, I checked, uh, it was over 400 documented uh, instances of brutality against peaceful protesters caught on video. Right, yeah. I think that that's, that's a vital point to make with the Chicago Democratic National Convention riots in, in 68, is that it was highly televised. On live, yeah, live TV. Now it's On Facebook live, live. Right. And that, that the discord or, or that the, the issues that were going on didn't just, I mean, it wasn't just in the, the violence of the protests outside, but the Democratic Party itself were in fighting inside the building as well with each other. And then you have this going on outside where you got protesters getting beat up by people who look like their parents or their dad, you know, <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's just it's it's a bad situation. It just looks bad on everybody's part at that at that point. Well, probably besides protesters who are just unfortunately being harassed, you know, due to police brutality. But um, but it's just a bad situation for everybody, man. It, it is, man. And um, I encourage anyone that has not seen footage of the stuff we're talking about. It's out there. The pro like you can well, you can watch it on video. It's it just like we're seeing now on on live feeds from people's phones. Um, get on YouTube from anything that we have hit on this episode. People can see that history. They right. can see. Uh, oh man, uh, was it? Um, when did King do the march? I'm I'm fuzzy on this, so maybe you can you can. But uh, when did King do the march where all the kids were hit with the water hoses? Do you remember that? Uh, they had a yeah, ton of kids but... with them on one of them, and it turned violent. And I want to yeah. say, uh, was that Montgomery? No. Yeah, it, it may have been right. 
But no, uh, I remember this. Yeah. So, uh, let me see. I'll just Google it real quick. Civil rights protest kids sprayed. But that's the type of stuff, man. Like if I talked about, uh, actually that's way, um, looks like earlier, uh, it's in Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. That was earlier sixties, I believe oh, 60, okay. 63, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm conflating or not conflating, but some of this stuff is running together for me. So I've been watching, I've been watching early civil rights stuff, like early, late fifties, early sixties, but yes. then I've also been like, immersing in the uh 67 68 stuff because of our talks and and interest so right but uh you know it's seeing those things on primary video just of of this history that that's what made me empathetic it's like oh man i cannot like there's so many images from this year that i'm never gonna get out of my brain yep yeah, I, we talked about that, I believe, on our last episode. But uh, yeah, but about the, right the media and sort of the imagery and uh, of the Vietnam thing, which of course, right, '68 is going on when the period we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of 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 images again, right, that we're talking about here. We're talking about the protest stuff. I mean, the the iconic image of MLK, unfortunately, shot just lying on the balcony right of uh of uh, uh i forgot what the name of the hotel was right you got everybody pointing like hey you know and uh um then of course you got rfk you got him bleeding out you know with with the gunshot in the back of his head i mean it's just you know it's it's bad it's and right the protesters getting beat down in chicago with the nightsticks and thrown into paddy wagons and dragged through the streets and the student protest, uh, the, the students and faculty um, protest across the country, but uh, interviews with those students after being batoned. It, or, yeah. And the, the, the reporter's like, oh, I, I see there your, your face. It's got blood all over it. What happened? He's like, oh, well, this, you know. And, and they're, they're doing a great job about not getting emotionally inflamed. If I just got beat up by the police... I'm going to be mad about that. You oh, know yeah, I mean? yeah, absolutely, but, yeah. Oh, man, and, and the faculty were commenting on administrators uh, and how that they had sort of invited it in and knew that this would likely be the result because that's what's going on everywhere. Right. But the student protests, which, which really erupted after the King assassination. But again, these protests continue. So it's like that really makes me wonder, how far out, like, are we going to, is this going to be keep going? Cause man, we're in election year. That's another parallel. Right. So is this going to keep going until November? Right. Yeah. Yeah. When's it going to, we yeah, when's it going to end? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because if we're looking back at history and drawing parallels, uh, it, it's, we are still, the protests are still happening. Philadelphia being, being the biggest one I've seen recently that, that got some coverage last night, but, we could be weeks out, uh, if not. Right. I mean, this could be going on in August. Here we are, June. What is it? June seventh, I believe. Yeah. Uh, twenty twenty. Could this be going so, on August 29th? Like, uh, like the riots at the DNC. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, how this does sort of hinge on an election year too. I think one thing we need to keep in mind is remarkably that lbj is at the helm 
the entirety of 68, right? I mean, Nixon's elected, but he doesn't go into office until 69. And it's weird to think that Nixon becomes even more reviled, right, than LBJ is in his, his, his two terms, right, in office. But it's just interesting that 68 is like the turning point year that most historians in sort of this 20th century American thing focus on. The 68 year, you have LBJ who's in charge, but it's yet Nixon becomes the bigger monster, right, than LBJ ever was. <laughs> True. Man, I, I've really been interested in doing some more like this is a time period that's going to naturally come next for me like getting into the Nixon administration yeah uh in, in my personal interest because I am fascinated by how he was able to do some of these things like that southern strategy mm-hmm. like I got just I just started talking with Woods about this other day but I've been reading about it I read some articles about it and have a have a book that I read in graduate school uh, that I got back out and brought home, read the introduction. It's just, it's, it's a very interesting time where American politics do take a turn and then you get Nixon coming out and it's like, right. Uh, that back to the hearts and minds thing. It's just like further, further erosion of faith in living up to our highest ideals. Right. Uh, another interesting point about sort of this, presidential thing that's going on and within this ties into the casualty thing too is if if robert kennedy had lived right there's always this debate if he had lived would he have been elected and would things have been different and in a way right it sort of mirrors his brother right john john kennedy right if if he hadn't been shot and killed in dallas would he have been reelected, and uh, would vietnam never have happened or, you know, would, would the civil unrest have not, of the latter 60s, been uh, nowhere near the levels that we had seen or we, we actually saw? But it would, would Robert Kennedy have gone on to get the Democratic uh, uh, nomination for president, and would he have won the election against Nixon? I think there's an interesting book that's called Coming Apart that's written by uh, William L. O'Neill, which was published in 1970. So it's like kind of contemporary with what was happening or had happened at that time, but it's looking back at the 60s, right at the edge going into the 70s. And he makes the case that he doesn't believe that Kennedy would have been, would have uh, been able to secure the nomination. He says that the next upcoming primary would have shifted back to New York and that most likely Eugene McCarthy would have won that. That's a great point. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a fascinating, because it's like most people you talk to, it's like, oh, you know, Robert Kennedy, he, he would have been president. You know, he would have been the Democratic nominee. He would have beat Nixon, and, and it would have been a better, better future or whatever. And, but that, that you have, you know, other people who will argue against that and say, no, that, you know, that there would have been some resistance to that, and that, that Kennedy was running on this sort of idealism that didn't have proper footing or whatever but it's that idealism that we tend to cling on to with the 60s right that we tend to hold on to this idea that hey you know we're gonna uh we're gonna champion civil rights we're gonna uh stop the war in vietnam we're gonna uh we're gonna win over the hearts and minds of people right that sort of thing and and that that becomes part of the casualty of 68 that that idealism of the 1960s becomes the 
the, the ultimate casualty. And like, and that, I mean, that ties in with the civil rights movement too, the ideas of the civil rights movement, but that this, this idealism that we're gonna better ourselves and that we have these, these high American ideas about freedom and about individuality and um, uh, about liberty and, and all this other stuff, but that, that it just, that it's, that's the casualty of 68. Yeah. I mean, you factor in the, the body counts from Vietnam all the people who are messed up psychologically, the drug abuse stuff from that, you got the great leaders thing in there with MLK and with RFK, and, and then you have the civil rights stuff, but ultimately, right, it's this idealism, this idea of hope and change that is sort of ground out of people at this point, that uh, it's sort of, and it's replaced by cynicism. That's, that's what, what, what happens, is that you get cynicism that takes the place of that, and that's where you get all these rampant conspiracy theories from people who trust the government, you know, the, and, and, but it's all footed in this stuff. It was the perfect storm. Yeah. Just, is the perfect storm. Furthering your, your idea on your uh, thesis uh, points you made there, which I was super inspired by, but like the, the idea, if you, you termed it like, okay, everybody now knows what this deep state is that we speak of all the time, they, you know, it's like right. but really like the furthering, like you're talking about the conspiracy theories that are coming out of MLK and conspiracy theories that are coming out of RFK. Right. So that is the, the further erosion of that faith and those ideas. Right. right. And, and, uh, you know, think about, uh, think about how our, our view of the presidency changed during those, those periods, right. Of like, yeah. you have uh, the end of Camelot, yeah. you have LBJ and Nixon. Right. Like how well, many fans of the white house do you have to, during the middle of the Nixon scandal, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I think what's interesting, too, is that LBJ does get reelected on sort of these principles, or he, he, he wins the election in 64 sort of on these principles of, hey, you know, the great society, we're going to end poverty, we're not going to escalate the war in Vietnam and all that, and obviously it's the opposite that happens, everything, but it's that idealism that dies out, and it's replaced by distrust, it's replaced by cynicism, and just this idea that we can't trust our leaders, we can't trust our authorities. I mean, hey, you watch the TV, you see that they're beating people on the street, right, who are peacefully protesting. And yeah. here we are in 2020, and we're still sort of asking ourselves these questions, right? It's like, can we trust the government? Are these people really working for us? Why are they beating down peaceful protesters in the streets, you know? And that's that. Those are history all great is repeating. You know, we're we're in a loop. It's it's happening again. You know. Well, yeah, but like, man, with uh, what you just said on LBJ, like, think think about how his idealism, like, he fell short on it in so many ways, right? Like, of of oh, yeah. that's that's the story about not living up to the ideals, right? Like, and and the same with Nixon. Hey guys, I got a plan to get us out of Vietnam. Yeah. No, yeah. you don't, dude. Like, uh, I mean, you know, but he did. He ran on this platform that he was going to end this domestic unrest and that he had, uh, what was his saying on Vietnam? Um, um, it wasn't, it wasn't peace without victory, was it? Oh, it was, uh, uh, yeah. I'm, Something like that, dude. Peace I don't... with dignity. Okay. Peace with okay. dignity, I believe is what it was. That's what, what his, 
his saying was, was, yeah. That, <laughs> but think about, I mean, that's <laughs> a great that. example on how, think about how it, short that guy fell on living up to his highest ideals, right? And maybe too, like I, I heard somebody the other day arguing that a narcissist was a, was actually a, historically had been a good leader. Like the, 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 the leadership guy, I know I was, I had a problem with it, but the, the <laughs> leadership characters of a, of a narcissist or, you know, where people with right. those personality types actually make in many cases for good leaders. But I think maybe that there's a connection with that and what we're saying about like, okay, how you're a narcissist is trying to live up to their highest ideals. Mm-hmm. not. Right. Americans highest ideals, right yeah right like uh, the uh, highest ideals that our constitution puts forth right that are that are existing within the zeitgeist at the present time in all of the in all of the groups right yeah yeah this has been a, this has been to super thought-provoking man honestly I, I really uh I've had a lot of good uh a lot of good ideas since we've been chatting about this yeah no, I mean, this, this is, this is, this is good. And I, I'm just like shocked by, yeah, sort of the relevancy of these sort of 68 ideas and, and how they're, they're back today. And, and, but I say they're back today, but I mean, the truth that we both, I believe, realize is that they never really went away and that we just kind of have shuffled them into a dustbin or into a filing cabinet and now they're back, you know, but it's like, these are issues that we never really faced, that we never really resolved. And um, that maybe, and it's, I, I made a, a sort of a Facebook post about this, but sort of that I feel that as far as sort of like the civil rights movement about equality, about racial equality, is that our generation, you know, unfortunately we have failed with that. And that our parents' generation, as we see through 68 and all that, they failed at that too. But maybe this current generation, and I mean, maybe you could chalk it up to just some idealistic notion that maybe, maybe I have or whatever, but is that, that maybe they can get it right this time. You know, maybe they can succeed in the ways that we didn't. And that we have to do something now. You know, and I've heard some people argue that perhaps these generations we're talking about passing away, right? Uh, will lead to it. But man, I don't think that that's going to purely do it. I think that'll stomp out some of the narrative and, and some of the prominence, but you, you've had that has been propagated within families and cross-generational lines right. to the point that in, I believe it was, 2014 that those three back to the Emmett Till story on uh, that that monument goes up in 08 Mm -hmm. sometime uh, in like 2014 three fraternity students from I believe it was Ole Miss or or whatever the nearby colleges of one of the bigger Mississippi uh, institutions uh, put an Instagram photo up of them with their guns standing in front of the sign after they had shot it and it's like so it's not just like it's not just that generation's got to You know, so that, but some people have made some points, and I even kind of mentioned that earlier in this talk is that perhaps we're a couple of generations away from seeing more improvements. But are we ever going to reach that uh, proverbial uh, promised land as a society that MLK is talking about? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, like I said, as an idealist, you want to believe that that's possible, you know, that you can get there. But what's important is that you, 
you try that, you know, you put forth the effort in order to right the wrongs of the past. And, you know, you, you talk about how it's sort of ingrained or institutionalized into people's ideas or in, in people's thought processes, these, these ideas, these, these unfortunately, well, we can call them habits, I guess, that are, are, are um, sort of transferred from generation to generation or whatnot. And, you know, I mean, it raises uh, the interesting question. I mean, I know you were, you were texting me, I think yesterday about it, but like, how long is it before the lost cause myth is stamped out? You know, <laughs> because we, that's been going on for, uh, what, like, like 130 years? Been, yeah. And I've just been discovering so much disparaging stuff about that man about no, like how many people it. i know that that buy into it and then too on the well on the uh did you see that video i shared about the uh, uh confederate daughters group right um about how they're they're the money behind mm -hmm. the yeah, right. monuments and they're all facing yeah. north towards the aggressor yeah yeah that's oh. that's true yeah. An interesting thing about these the the protests and the sort of uh, resurgence and and hey we should focus on racial inequality is that I I see uh, sort of the idea to remove the Confederate monuments now coming back into vogue you know or or, or move them move them from places where you know they're out like hey they're in front of the courthouse or whatever which a good example of that is Dardanelle you ride right across the bridge and there's the Confederate soldier, you know, just waiting there sort of to say, hey, whites only, you know, that sort of thing, which it's well, just, I just oh, what I the, uh, was it Navy, the Navy or Marine Corps one has come out of the Pentagon yesterday, Hausnick shared it was uh, the, the display of the Confederate flag on, in public spaces by military members, by members of that branch rather, has been prohibited. So, but we've moved forward a couple of times, but people, I don't think they, uh, some people just don't get it. And no, I, they, they don't. They well, you, okay. So you were sharing about the peach festival, uh, a couple of days ago, I right? was this festival from our hometown. Right. And it's super it's always hot. humid. It's always oh. like, like heat index 120 degrees or whatever. And it's like, you can feel your skin like boiling. That's <laughs> Dude, so let me tell you, and I'll just cop to this, man. I don't care. I was a, I was a child. I lived on Central Street down by the levee, so I was in walking uh -huh. distance to the Peach Fest. I'm talking like 150 yards from the courthouse square. So I would walk down there, and dude, I'm talking like I'm 8, 10 years old, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this Rebel Flag wallet with a chain. Oh, 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 you remember those hats that were like tall? Like yep. they're like a tall hat, but like this got one of those with the rebel fight. Cause I had, I had no clue. I was like, I know, that's, a, know, that's a cool, it's like an X is, and, and I'm like, you know, the British flag's cool too. Like that's yeah. how my mind as a kid is thinking. And like now I'm just like, I feel super. Yeah. Like, like that. Right. I know. But it was just like that stuff was sold. What the point I wanted to make is that stuff was sold wi widely to children on our courthouse square. Yeah, yeah, it was. I even right. had a I even had a ring with a little rebel flag on it. Okay, I think I got it all the same day. But I mean, I'm talking like I'm an eight year old kid. I know no better, and it's not being told to me like, hey, maybe. 
maybe imagine imagine people that were probably there that saw like me walking around with my rebel flag shit being like what a racist little boy i don't know like i mean were there people like me and you now that are there seeing that go on being like i can't yeah <laughs> i can't believe this is still <laughs> happening right right no uh yeah i mean it's right it's 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 crazy man it's i don't know it's sort of like yeah you have this romantic romanticization of sort of right the confederacy and i mean that's all through this region sort of thing but it's like yeah where you don't where it's like it, it's almost this idea that like well the civil war ended everybody shook hands and everything was fine after that you know it's sort of right and we know i mean as students of history you know that's not true you know you still have the reconstruction period and then and then you you have the uh, uh, the segregation thing come in to try to reestablish white supremacy in the South and and the, the horrors from that and lynchings are still going on and right it, it, and and it's, it's the 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 racial inequality problem the civil rights movement all these are all historical problems that we're being faced with today because we haven't faced the truth we 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 can't we don't want to face the truth maybe I don't know are there are people out there who don't. But yeah, it's, it's not easy. I, I know people, I know, do this. Right. they just don't want to because it's, it's not comfortable and they don't want to feel the discomfort of knowing. Like I challenged somebody on that the other day and mm. they're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear that. That's going to break my heart. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's, that's part of the problem. You know, that, that you're not willing to learn what these people are talking about because it's uncomfortable for you. Right. 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 Uh, and man, like I said, I've gotten goosebumps multiple times since we've been talking. I've cried in the last 24 hours because of an image I, or a video I've seen that it, that is us falling massively short on our highest ideals and on our, on right. human rights and on racial equality. And and if you dig through our history, you can definitely see the linkages. Like. Yeah, we're we're trying to analyze what's going on right now, looking back. But it's like those people that don't know where they came from, they could never see the connections. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it just it's 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 true. But yeah, it's just such such weird weird times now, man. But it's it's weird to think like that the like how much progress that the civil rights movement made in the 50s and in the 60s and how it just sort of stops you know and 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 that but it's it's almost like this belief that people think that oh it ended everything was fine but obviously everything's not fine i mean if you look into the history of it it's not fine if you look into what's happening today it's not fine but it's amazing to think that in like in 68 like 10 years previous to that that a black american could not sit and have a cup of coffee or a sandwich at the same lunch counter as a white person. I mean, that's incredible, right? And that is, re-going back through all these eyes on the prize, I didn't, re I mean, you, you know that there's segregation, but like the number of instances that it was occurring, I, I just wasn't like, I mean, up on it, I guess, like thinking I might, but busing, shorter, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, short or long distance businesses, lunch right. counters, movie theaters. Yeah, or, department uh, stores. Right, yeah. Water fountains. Like uh, This was on one of the first, uh, first 
two or three eyes on the prize, but one of the guys being interviewed was like talking about the two water fountain situation. And he was like, I'm like a little boy. So I'm like, of course, uh, the, there's this nice marble water fountain. It's very yeah. beautiful. There's this crappy one. I drank out of both. And I was like, mama, they're both the same. They're, these yeah. are the same water fountains. The water tastes the same. Why can't I drink out of both of them? Or that one. That one looks better. And she's just like trying to quell it. Like, hey, you know, we'll talk about this later. Uh, we need to get out of here in case anybody saw that. Right. Like, but just a number, like the, like the courthouse thing. Um, I wonder how, if what, I mean, what churches, obviously too, there's black churches, but I wonder how much of that was going on um, where it was just like, there, no, there are no African-Americans allowed at this church. I mean, I'm sure that went on. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's amazing to think like the, right, the links, the things that were accomplished in that short period of time in the, we'll call it the classic civil rights movement. That's kind of what it's referred to as that period from sort of Brown first board of education in 54 to, yeah, like the murder of, of Dr. King in, uh, 68. So I wonder about, so just as a historian, like, I wonder where the black lives matter movement is going to fit into the overall narrative because because this has become a big enough thing over the last few years that it's like okay well that gives us a uh, a workable uh, bookend for now to work backwards from to let's say uh, like eighty seven when I was born or mid eighties where you where the the dialogue really uh, has died off substantially yeah. by that time right and, and has stayed quiet throughout most of my life. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's, that's the, what's kind of the maybe, maybe different from now in 68 is that, yeah, you have these, these gains, you have all the stuff that is going on in sort of this, this decade plus almost 15 years or whatever leading up to 68. But if you go from like the murder of Dr. King, or we'll say maybe even the early seventies up until today, you just have flare-ups. You have these just moments where it kind of just comes in waves and it goes away. And uh, hopefully this, this wave keeps going, you know, hopefully, hopefully yeah. you know, it, it, it hasn't crested at this point and everybody just goes back to sleep again, because this is an issue that we have to deal with, that we as historians that we deal with every day when we read this stuff, you know, but that, the public has to deal with it. And I mean, obviously there was a lot going on in 68. There's a lot going on today, but that it's important that the, the ideals of the civil rights movement, which I think are all fundamentally human ideas that we all should share and have. And, uh, that, that those things should be, um, they should come to be. Like, like we, we, we need to, to make, make it so we, we need to have, have these things now because that didn't happen at this time. <laughs> Cause well, I mean, that question I mentioned being posed earlier by RFK, it's like, we are still asking it whether or not all Americans should enjoy what most Americans enjoy. I well, think I mean, say most. 
Right. Are we, are we truly, and this is a question we're asking ourselves in the 60s and we're asking ourselves before that, are we the beacons of the free world? Are we the archetype of what, 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 what liberty and freedom is supposed to be? Because if, right, if you think, and this is a tool that like communists attempted to use against uh, American, against, and in, in the, the, the 50s and 60s is, hey, they're supposed to be the champions of the free world. And yet, you have all this segregation where you can't have black Americans participating uh, in the same sort of daily chores, daily activities as white people, you know, and, and, and we're still asking ourselves those questions today, you know, are we really, are we really making America great again? <laughs> you know, does it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great point, man. It really is. Because it is, it's very much a case of, in many ways, history repeating itself as we keep yeah. hammering on. But that is, uh, yeah, I've, I don't know if you saw an image, I shared this on the podcast page, but uh, when, the, when I think it was the first or second night of the riots in Minneapolis, you have power lines on fire, this yeah. guy flying this American flag, and it's like, like blowing, but he's walking through the streets of Minneapolis and he's a protester and he's, crazy stuff going on but i shared that and i said greatest country on earth and yeah because it's like uh, you know the way that we are appearing now on a world stage is not too much different than than what you're referencing a moment ago you know it's uh how the rest of the world views us in comparison to our ideals you know and and how we're falling short on them and i mean these protests are not just a united states phenomenon there's george floyd protest happening oh yeah in other countries too yeah right right that's important too right is that after the death of dr king is that yeah there were protests across the globe whenever he died and uh, you know so it's yeah and i mean that is what's happening today but it shows that yeah it's it's not just I mean, it is a national problem, but it's more than that. It's a global problem. It's a human problem, and it's something that we need to reckon with. It we have to, or we're just going to keep going through these the, the motions. This is going to just keep happening again and again and again, and it it has to be dealt with at at some point. But I just think that that uh, you know, it it doesn't. These ideas don't have to be a casualty again. You know, I mean, they weren't killed, but they were seriously damaged, you know, but it's like, but they, it doesn't have to be, we, we, we don't need to do any more damage than we've already done. Yeah, this is a, uh, this is a great time to, um, to learn and to, like, I've just been, this will be a great podcast for people to listen to right now. I've just been trying to, I've been telling everybody, it's like, talk to your friends, family, and neighbors, educate, have open dialogue try not to get emotional right you know, this is the time for uh open dialogue and I, I think that you know too and something i've been conflicted with too about open dialogue and is like i have had a super ardent stance on people arguing against things we're talking about right like i've uh sadly removed a ton of people from my facebook that have chimed in with and I, I kind of, I, I didn't really like, I, there are a few examples I just couldn't live with. I'm like, you're racist. You yeah, it. I know. Yeah. You I've know? run into it too. And it's, it's and, hard, it's and then there's, you know, it's just, so am I doing a positive thing by removing them? 
or should I keep them around to hear my narrative? You know what I'm saying? Or it's not my narrative. It's our narrative, the narrative of America. But it's, you know, that's the thing. It's like, are these people, uh, am I, I'm better served by not having to stand shoulder to shoulder with a racist on any issues, but are they better served? What, what is going to bridge the gap on changing those types of ideologies? Right. Right. I think that's, it's an important question. And I think that's one that, you know, is, it doesn't have a necessarily clear cut answer to it. Right. Is that you want to, right. You want to sort of live by example and say, Hey, well, maybe, you know, if, if, uh, you know, I, I conduct myself in a certain fashion that, you know, maybe, maybe that the ideas I have will transfer and be like, okay, well, hey, maybe they are reasonable and, and you know, their, their way of thinking is, you know, maybe my way of thinking is not the correct way of thinking or, you know, like that. But, right, it is hard. And because it's, it's just, it's emotionally draining. It really is. It's hard to, it is hard to remove your emotions from something like this because it is such a human issue. You know, and I know this is a subject that is very important to the both of us. You know, this this idea about uh, racial inequality and uh, about people's rights and and that sort of uh, of, uh, of idea and, and narrative and all that. And it is it is very hard to remove your emotions from it. And I don't even know if that is really possible. <laughs> you know, with something that is as deeply uh, affecting as sort of what what is what is happening now i mean i i don't i don't and i mean but that's that's a problem with history to begin with i mean can you really remove your biases and that sort of thing (laughs) you know i that's just i think something that we we deal with on a daily basis probably normal people don't deal with that you know that's let me let me ask you this have you lost sleep any nights over all this stuff going on yeah oh dude i did last night uh part of it was my dogs needing out at 1:30 for some reason but uh i i was tossing and turning before that and after and there's been about three nights where like i was i just taken in so much that day that yeah. it's like the protests were happening in my dreams man right well i mean like like to to me it's i mean it's deeply affecting not only because of my my own beliefs about about you know we should treat each other equally and and that we need to like i say fulfill the promises of the civil rights movements of the 60s and all that but it's like i mean i i have a six-month-old daughter now and that you know i you want your kids to grow up in a world that's better than the world you had before it right and, and, and that, that you don't want them to experience or see any of these forms of discrimination or of inequality, or you want some form of stability, some form of, 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 uh, of, of humanity that, that um, you, you don't want this chaos. You don't want this, um, and, and these, these, these ideas is, you don't want them to be exposed to racism or discrimination or in, uh, right, you don't want them to, to experience that or, ha- or know people who experience that because that, I mean, it affects everybody. Yeah, did you, did you see that Ashton Kutcher speech the other day? I know it's kind um, of- No, so, no, uh-uh. Worthy, worthy listen. I mean, he basically just gave a super impassioned speech, but in the speech, he, um, he used this example. He, he has a son and a daughter, right? And he lets his daughter and uh, go first all the time before his son, right? And one one time, is like little boys will do. He threw a fit about it. He's like, "Why does she always get to go first? Uh, why don't I ever get to go first? And he goes, "We've decided to go second because in some places, women don't get to go at all." 
Right. Yes. Yeah, like th true. that is uh, uh, such a great, and, and those are the types of things and I can only, I mean, I know I've, it's crazy. Your, your uh, daughter's six months old already, but I know that we've <laughs> even before you, she was born. I was like, bro, you got to tell me like Cora and I are, are trying right now. And it's like, these are the things I very much so think about. And it's, it's been a struggle for me, particularly lately. Cause like we we're trying right now it to right. be like, Oh yeah. What a great world to bring. In. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's, it's rough, but it's like, but it will be one of my joys uh, to share these ideas with my child. Right. right? You know, and it's, uh, and I like, man, I love sharing martial arts with kids. I mean, obviously I own a martial arts school and have a lot of kids, over a hundred kids that train there, but it's, right. it's something different about, uh, yeah, sharing those techniques with them and sharing like the stuff we're talking about, you know, the history, the ideas, the, you know, human rights, how we could just be even do better and how we've fallen short and, and, and trying not to get super negative with that. I mean, it's like how Ashton Kutcher's put that. It's not a super negative way to say that to your little boy, uh, but, to, yeah. but to let him know that like, but then too, like I, I was a grown adult man before I realized how much women had been systemically disenfranchised yeah, over time. Right. Right. True. Yeah. I agree. Right. Yeah. It's, just, it's the same sort of instance. I learned a lot of history and was blown away and then almost still couldn't accept some things. Right. Mm -hmm. It was weird. I, I, it took me a while to really gain any empathy on that. And I I've, I've struggled with that. You know, like not struggled with having it now, but it's like, why, how could I not see this before that sometime we decided to, to suppress the whole consciousness of women? Like, whereas we used to deify them in the ancient world with goddesses. Yeah. Venus, yeah. Venus yeah. Right. right. I think maybe on a, on a future 68 podcast, I think, because I know we've, we focused on the civil rights thing now with sort of black Americans and, and and that 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 maybe we we should we should probably uh, have a few minutes on on women's rights and on uh, for sure uh, um, on uh, Native American rights and uh, uh, the uh, the gay rights thing you know uh, because I mean that is I we we, we we I mean know we've talked about right the civil rights and African Americans and all that but it's like there are so many groups that are unfortunately sort of marginalized marginalized right when when it's like sort of previous to their this point they're gaining momentum things are changing you know and but it's like sort of 68 kind of puts the boot down you know on on yeah. the, like i said the idealism and and uh, i think one of the central questions that we've we've tried to kind of uh answer here or maybe add to is is 68 really the year the dream died you know, the dream of the 60s, the ideal of the 60s. But I don't know if it's as much as if it died or it was just sort of locked away and forgotten. Or, and that's, well, think, think about, like, you kind of made a, a reference. Uh, so we had this a little bit earlier. Maybe it's like, uh, so this, this metaphorical dream, the American dream, right? Like, what if that is, uh, like, Hey man, uh, I have a dream to own a martial arts school. And, mm -hmm. um, over a period of years, I was able to actualize that dream. 
Like I own the second largest martial arts school in the state now because I had this dream, like in that sense, not, but, but maybe like another metaphor for the dream would be that it has not been actualized because we're sleeping on the dream. Right. Just like, like in action. Like if I wouldn't have had all of this action, I wouldn't achieve my, my personal dream of whatever. Right. Yeah. So I think there's, there's two, it's like, this this sort of conceptual uh take on it and it's like well maybe we're maybe our dream is just uh it, it hasn't awoken from its slumber so to speak but you know talking about a dream and and the sense of something you achieved not uh like a different state of consciousness right yeah <laughs> right but yeah well, yeah. Right on, man. I think it's been a, a super productive talk, man. Um, we should definitely do it again. It's been our first distance um, podcast. So right. I think it worked out pretty well as, uh, in that regard. So anytime you want to get back together, man. And uh, I've been at working in the new studio. And I told you I got my mixer ordered. And um, I got another whiskey barrel. I got the one with the opening door. And it's got two Lazy Susans and a light. I'm going to put some audio in there. <laughs> cool but that's gonna be like you know i got the whiskey barrel on the tables like i want to do film some episodes right there on that table so it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be good yeah sounds sounds awesome sounds great yeah i I mean like we we could do another right i mean we do a whole series of 68 episodes of course continuing just Uh, just, well now we know that we can even if you know because like our state still hasn't given us a date on phase two so uh and that since everybody's protesting and spreading the coronavirus around but um yeah it, we can do some more of these man i'm down i've been podcasting every single day essentially so uh, and i've been overloading my audience with way too many martial arts themed episodes uh because like i was recording lectures i started a, a youtube for my teaching also yeah uh, during the shutdown but i'm just like I want to get back to like, I've, I've recorded a whole bunch of martial arts episodes. And when the gym was shut down, I was trying to do that to get my audience. Like that was, were gym members like, Hey, don't cancel your membership. I'm talking to this cool guy from California. See, you know, cause we were shut down from March 16th until uh, right. May, May 4th. Right. So, um, but Man, I, I got some good uh, episodes coming up this week. I got a stand-up comic. I've got another historian who's a PhD candidate with Jeff Woods' dad, Randall, Dr. Randall Woods, um, who she went to grad school with me, but she's going to U of A now. Uh-huh. So uh, she's coming on to talk a little bit about current stuff that's happening. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Uh, yeah. So getting getting back on track with some more uh, diverse episodes. But you want to do anything, man, you let me know. We'll plan it. Uh, I'm down to do... Uh, anytime you want as you know yeah yeah no it sounds sounds good i kind of want to go with this uh, maybe maybe next episode we should focus on counterculture maybe that's how we can get maybe that's how we can get uh woods in on it yeah, yeah i will i will talk to him about that um he's coming on i think thursday at one uh, like one thirty, one o'clock is when we're going to do ours so um I'm, i'll talk to him i'll probably see i'll see him monday so i'll mm-hmm. talk to him monday and see uh brainstorm see what he's got in mind yeah and uh you've been working on any other history projects or anything or just man i i interviewed neil harrington i'm writing an article for the encyclopedia but they've been shut down so like i haven't been working on a whole lot because they're not communicating with me about 
anything. <laughs> so yeah. I had a contact there right before the shutdown, told him I wanted to write the article, did the interview, transcribed it, kind of roughed it out, but I haven't done anything with it. But uh, that's where I, I feel like on the other side of um, getting my studio done, uh, getting all moved in there, um, going to be doing some more projects, probably going to uh, try and reach out to him again. Cause I want to start with that. I want to write some articles. Eventually I'm going to rehash my thesis. That's not super, uh, super near on the horizon, but, uh, that, and then too, so check this out. Um, one of the, so, you know, I'm going to start doing these tiny desk concerts. It's a new studio, right? Yeah. Yeah. So black sabbaticals coming on in like a month. Uh, cool. and they're going to, they're going to play like a 10 song set. Uh, I'm going to sit down and do like an interview with all of them at the table uh, and then uh, they're going to play like 10 songs and we're going to record that too. So that'd be super neat. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> but that's like an all history professor plus an art and uh, behavioral sciences guy. Yeah. I guess it's two history professors, but good, good people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't you say you had, uh, was it Mikna or Mishna? Mikna. Mikna. Did you had him in class? What all does he teach? Uh, the class I had him for was a graduate course, of course, and, and it was, uh, it was, uh, early colonial America. That's sort of his area of focus is that, and it was a great class. I mean, like it was a readings course. And, yeah. We read a lot of, a lot of great material in there, but yeah, his yeah. Early, early American history. Yeah. Like early Republic, Je Jeffersonian era and stuff like that too. Well, I think it's actually further back than that. More like the period oh. sort of yeah. <laughs> Oh, so straight up colonial. Yeah. Yeah. So no early Republic. Yeah. It'd be pure, well, I mean, there might be some in there, but we are, we mainly focused on sort of pre American revolution yeah. sort of. Dude, stuff. that's always a super taxing time period for me personally. Did you? Yeah. Feel <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. Cause I always show the crucible and I have them write a paper. Yeah. Well, a lot of, a lot of semesters I do uh, like every other semester. Um, but man, that movie is such a good representation. I feel like of the shit that I read and hear about. Yeah, I've got um, a book on colonial America. I can't remember what the name of it is that was recommended to me that I'm going to read. But um, it is uh, it's an interesting time. It always I'm always happy to get through it and get to the revolution for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, right on, man. Well, just uh, shoot me a text or, or a message and let me know. Um, let's start planning that next episode, man. We can set a date or uh, I, we can wait till I talk with Woods, see if he wants to come in and, and let's, uh, let's start playing that counterculture episode. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, sounds good. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll talk to uh, Julie. We've, we've started yeah. sort of, sort of planning uh, the Arkansas unraveled stuff. So we'll be headed your way with. Well, and we got the Neil Harrington print all done. So yeah, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be great. COVID kind of got in the way of a lot of stuff. So that's, you know, but I know that affected everybody, but hopefully there's some light at the end of this tunnel. So yes, yes. Yeah. And that, well, man, if, if nothing else, Oh, Hey Thurman, uh, can't get together on Saturday uh, or, or you can't come from Paris or whatever. Oh, would you like yeah. to do this zoom podcast? Yeah, the miracle, never thought of the miracle of modern technology. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We're right on, dude. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. See you. See, see you, pal. <laughs>